Hello everybody and welcome back to Let's Talk Music, the podcast where we break down iconic albums and let you know exactly what we think of them. I'm Ethan, I'm joined by my father Paul as always, and this this week's album is Fleetwood Mac's Rumours. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, feel free to email us. The email for that one is letstalkmusicpodcast.com. Yeah, as you may have realised, we do a cover shot for each of these um, uh, podcasts that we do. And, and today you'll, you'll notice it is Cup semi-final day. We are in our Man United kits. We are raring to go. Uh, come on, the lads, we're uh, right behind you. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, yeah, Fleetwood Mac's, Ru- Fleetwood Mac's Rumours. Um, so Rumours was released on the 4th of February 1977. The band wanted to expand on commercial success found by their previous album. However, the band found themselves in a bit of a sticky situation with all sorts of breakups before and during recording. The album was actually recorded with the intention of making a pop album, so to speak. The album's music features pop rock and soft rock sound characterised by accented rhythms and electric keyboards. Yeah, before we get into rumours itself, let's remember Fleetwood Mac were formed in 1967 by Mick Fleetwood and Pete Green. Think the track Albatross. The band went through significant lineup changes throughout the years until settling in its most prestigious lineup in 1974 of original members Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, with keyboard player Christine Perfect, later Christine McVie, uh, who had joined in 1968, and with the addition of Lindsay Buckingham and vocalist Stevie Nicks. Rumours in 1977, as said, was Fleetwood Mac's second album with this particular lineup in place. It produced four US top 10 singles and won a Grammy Award for the best album in 1978. Now, back in 1976, the band was suffering a severe amount of stress. As Christine and John McVie's marriage broke down, as did the long term romantic relationship with Nixon Buckingham, Mick Fleetwood was also in the process of divorcing his long term wife. <clears throat> Through the pressure, the band combined with their uh, newfound wealth led to creative and personal tensions, which were fueled by a rather large consumption of drugs and alcohol. The band began work on their 11th studio album. This is Rumours. Now, Rumours was recorded at the Criteria Studios in Miami and released in February of 77. The band had the intention of recording a more pop-orientated album, and the sleeve design is very simplistic. It's a tall man standing with one foot raised on a stool, gazing longingly at the pretty girl before him who is who has her legs draped across his thighs. Oh. Exactly, yep. So this means that whilst recording this album, the McVees would not talk to each other at all, Buckingham and Nicks were arguing non-stop, and Mick Fleetwood was depressed. Also, they were on crazy amounts of cocaine. Sounds like a recipe for a disaster. The track opens then with... The tr- uh, sorry, the album opens with the track Secondhand News. Now, this song is an ode to the breakup of a relationship, as a surprise, and is one of several on the album that alludes to the breakup of Buckingham and Nicks. Musically, this track bounces along with a jolly feel and sound throughout, but it's it's really just not that inspiring. No, see, I disagree, because I think that the music in the track was actually quite uplifting. And I feel like it traps you in a world of make-believe happiness before the painful lyrics and emotional solo transcends into silent emptiness. Um, so I think it's a, a very good opener, and I know we've had some some arguments about openers in the past, um, but I, I think it's a, a very good opener, and it brings you and it sets the tone for what the album really is. The album's about hope and heartbreak, resignation and love, and I think this track sums that up perfectly. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's just blankly staring yeah, 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 at me yeah. now. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue with your opinion. You're entitled to it the same as everybody else. Personally, for me, I don't think it's a good opener. It doesn't draw you in. It doesn't make you want to listen to the rest of the album. So that then takes us on to track number two, which is Dreams. So this track was written by Stevie Nicks whilst her split with Lindsay Buckingham was obviously going on, um, as well as the two aforementioned divorces. Dreams is often considered a companion piece to Buckingham's Go Your Own Way, which details almost his side of their famous breakup. Uh, Stevie Nicks did once say in an interview with the Rolling Stone magazine that she wrote the song in 10 minutes whilst on a bed next to the studio they were recording in. Um, what are your thoughts on Dreams before we go into into that? Well, as you said, Dreams, reportedly Stevie Nicks, Nicks claims to have written the song in around 10 minutes and the rest of the band actually didn't like it. Christine McVie described it as having just three chords and one note on the left hand. Um, it's a much more typical uh, two-beat backtrack with a delicious amount of acoustic guitar in there, uh, in arrangement in there, and a, a very round chorus section. Um I actually like Dreams. It is one of the you know the better tracks on the album. As I say, it is one of the four top ten singles, um, so it is expected to be a little <laughs> bit uh, better. Yeah, so for me, I feel like the beat is methodical and the lyrics are painful. You can certainly get a sense of how Nix was feeling during the process of this breakup, um, which I think is what makes it such a good song at times, is the fact that it's raw emotion and you can kind of tell that when you listen to it that you, you know exactly how she feels at that time. Um, so then that takes us to track three, which is Never Going Back Again. Uh, so the third track on Rumours features the least lyrics and the most instrumentation. It features complex guitar playing and simple lyrics. The song is about Lindsay Buckingham finding new love or rebounding from his breakup with Stevie Nicks. Buckingham told Rolling Stone that it was a very naive song. Uh, he said he'd broken up with Stevie and maybe met someone. It could have been someone who didn't really mean a thing, uh, which we know a, a lot of a lot of people do from breakups. It's also well known that co-producer Ken Calais had uh, technicians actually change the strings on Buckingham's guitar every twenty minutes. Um, so that across a recording recording session of about three hours, you know, you do the maths. How annoying that would have been. And um, what were your thoughts on Never Going Back Again? Well, Never Going Back Again, as you said, it was written by Buckingham and he once described it as a sweet and naive song and didn't consider the lyrics. The track's very folk-influenced, um, all twinning guitars. Um, there's no real chorus line at all and there's no real rhythm section. Uh, sorry, no real drums or rhythm section within the song. It, it's almost one of those, it could be just an acoustic um, guitar session work. Yeah, it very much does sound like it was a stripped session in the studio when they recorded that one. Uh, this then takes us on to track four, which is Don't Stop. Probably one of the most famous tracks from the album, would you not agree? Yeah, Don't Stop. It's the second single from the album. It peaked at number three in the Billboard chart. Um, the song reflects Christine's feelings after a separation from John, um, which ended eight years of marriage. She said it was a pleasant revelation to have that yesterday's gone in the chorus. Um, the first track with it's the first track with any real meat on the bone, so to speak. Um, it draws you in. Uh, I feel this would have been the better opener for me. This is you know this is the track that should have opened the album, as far as I'm concerned. It's got a good mix of folk and country, uh, but it has got that rocking vibe going on in the background. Yeah. So as stated before, Christine McVie wrote this about sort of getting to a place where the relationship of her past was a thing of a different time and place. 
Uh, the song for me also serves like a bit of a pep talk to move forward. And the refrain, don't stop thinking about tomorrow, really demonstrates that. Uh, the song is fun and upbeat. One of the brightest songs on the album, in my opinion, which there's not very many contenders for brightest <laughs> song on this album. Um, the song did also become famous to another generation when Bill Clinton adopted it as a theme for his 1992 presidential campaign, um, which then led to the, the Rumours era band reforming to perform this at his inauguration, I believe. Um, so there we go. Presidents can do good things sometimes. Yeah, that takes us on then uh, nicely into track five. Track five, of course, Go Your Own Way. Yep, this was the first single from the album, possibly the most memorable. It was written by the band in a rented house whilst on the US tour. Mick Fleetwood remembers that the house had a distinctly uh, bad vibe, as if it were haunted. Um, it's another Buckingham song about his breakup. It hits right off the bat with the opening line, loving you isn't the right thing to do. It's very much uh, musically in the in the same vein as Don't Stop. It bounces joyfully along in spite of the lyrics and its truer meanings. Yeah, and for me, it's almost clear how he felt at the time. And considering the music and in what is supposedly its companion piece, which is considered by many fans in Dreams, you can see who was hurt more. Um, you know, Fleetwood's song is very much... He, it's almost like he's happy and he's fine with that. You go your own way, do what you want, because I'm going to do the same thing. Um, whereas it almost seems like Nicks was trying to cling on for a while. Um, Stevie Nicks said in an interview that this song is the hardest to perform live with Buckingham. However, as it's considered a fan favourite, she will struggle through it. Um, Stevie Nicks did not leave the shaking up jab unanswered either, saying in an interview, I very much resented him telling the world that Packing up and shacking up with other men is all I wanted to do. Um, which, I, I mean, I think is fantastic that you can get your ex-girlfriend to sing a song about how much you don't like her um, anymore, which which is shithousery at the best, in my opinion. <coughs> uh, this then takes us to Songbird. So Songbird is our sixth song on Rumours and is essentially the midpoint of the album. Uh, so the album is 11 tracks. So this is really the middle is halfway through Go Your Own Way. But this is the midpoint song. It was written by Christine McVie and is a ballad song. The song won the hearts of many for its soft and gentle sound and emotional lyrics about self-sacrifice and love. The song is slow and the piano backed. And piano backed, sorry. It sounds like... It would be the perfect slow dance song for weddings. Any <laughs> thoughts on that? You're getting married soon. Are you going to dance to to Songbird? I'm getting married soon. Am I going to dance to Songbird? Um, I doubt it. Um, no, Songbird. <laughs> it, it's one of those songs. Now, this was written by Christine McVie. I said it was actually a last minute addition to the album. Um, it found fame and adoration after it was uh, covered and released on the Eva Cassidy album of the same name two years after her death. So. She released it posthumously, posthumously and it became a massive hit for her. Um, the track is a memorable, you know, it is a memorable and beautiful piano ballad. Um, not for its part, not just, yeah, not just that it fits its part on this album. You know, there is something more to this track. Yeah, and this song then leads us on to the next track, which for me is probably the most famous track from this album. Uh, track seven, The Chain. Uh, so The Chain is very much like a Fleetwood Mac anthem. It's one of their best-known songs. The Chain mentioned in the song is almost the bond that keeps the relationship going and never-ending. 
can also be seen as the chain that keeps the band together, linking the members together in ways that don't allow them to go their own way. It's <laughs> bad pun there. I was really <laughs> proud of that. Um, as the song was written during this time where the band was in a troubled state, many have theorised that the lyrics are subtle attacks at each other. Um, however, the band also suggests that there is some underlying love that doesn't allow them to completely leave each other alone and completely part ways. Uh, what are your your thoughts on, on that? What what would you believe would be behind well, the lyrics there? I, I had a good look at the chain because it's a track that I've always liked. As, as you said, it's a bit of a Fleetwood Mac album. However, when you get into it and, and you, you, you trace the history of this track, this track, the chain, is converted. It's been created from a combination of previously rejected material and then reassembled by, to good effect by splicing the tapes together to make one complete track. And it is with quite stunning effect. However, you know, it's one of those, this isn't a song written for the album, this is material that have been rejected and then just spliced together and plugged together to make a complete song. Now, it provides us with a blended mix of harmonies, guitars and drums, a full complement. Um, and it has a rousing chorus line that would that they put into it uh, while splicing the material together. Yeah, so uh, the chain for me, the music is itself a masterpiece. You've got the third of the kick drum constantly, the really recognisable acoustic guitar riff to begin with, um, and then followed by that breakdown in the middle where the bass line comes in and, and it changes the song to another emotional level. Um and you can hear that raw emotion after the bass solo and, and we go into this gang vocal shout, which is almost like what the whole song is for me. Like what changes it is the fact that you can hear everyone's voice, like it truly is something that has kept them together and, and it's been their bond. It's one of my favourite songs in general of all time. Um I love it and I love how it gets used in media as well. It was the Formula One theme song for a few years um it's in all sorts of film trailers and, and everything so I, I love how it's been used and, and the song itself like i say is, it's just raw emotion and there's nothing better than raw emotion sometimes um what are your thoughts on, on that would you uh, yeah i mean again it's one of those it it's another track that uh, has been used over the years, as you say, in media, and that has increased its popularity. I think at the time um, when it was recorded, it, it it was just another song. It didn't. It, it was released. It didn't reach the heights of the other singles off the album. Um, so when you go back to when the album was released and what it was all about, the chain was actually not received as well as it is today because of its its, its media hype and use since. Yeah, it it definitely is one of the songs that has been more widely received over time. Uh, we then move on to track eight, which is You Make Love and Fun. Um, so You Make Love and Fun is the eighth track and fourth single from Rumours. It's written and sung by Christine McVie. Uh, the song has a more optimistic tone than the others on the album, which again, not exactly difficult with the <laughs> the uh, the songs and, and what was going on at the time when they wrote them. Uh, this love song depicts McVie moving on from her past troubles into a life with a new lover. The song is said to be inspired by McVie's relationship with Curry Grant following her split from bassist John McVie. The song sounds fun and upbeat, something we didn't see too much of in the rest of the album. Um, yeah, all around it's a, it's a fairly decent song. It's the sort of thing that um, you could see a, 
a 16-year-old girl coming home from school and listening to while she's in love with her boyfriend, um, you know, lying on the bed, kicking her feet backwards on the phone, listening to this. Um, but it doesn't really, for me, it's not one of my favourites. Um, but it's a good song. It does its job. Yeah, it's one of those. It doesn't quite deliver what you want it to, does it? No, um, not at all. Yeah, you make love in fun, as you said. It was written by Christine McVie, and it was inspired by the affair she was having with the band's lighting director at the time. Um, to avoid any flare-ups within the band, she told her husband and other band members that it was inspired by her new pet dog. Um, it opens up. It's got a very 70s disco vibe um, with Stevie Nicks' husky um Backing, uh, backing vocals of sighs and that throughout, throughout the choral arrangement I, where she's sighing over the chorus I do like that, that is a is good use of her voice and tone um, yeah, the fact that it's got that 70s disco vibe as you said, they tried to make a more poppy album and this is possibly the more poppy song on, on the album yeah, 100% it, it almost feels like it doesn't fit in a way because the songs surrounding it are very emotional um, and it sort of takes you on onto this this whole new thing of you no, know, we can be happy um, whilst taking digs at each other. Yeah, I think for, <laughs> you know, for me, this is the one track on the album. The, the band openly admitted that they wanted to make something more poppy, more dancey um, for their fans. Yeah, and this is the only track that actually delivers that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <coughs> um, which I think, looking back now, and the fact that they originally wanted to record a more poppy album. And then you look back at the the eleven tracks on the album, and so far, like two of them have been any fun, mm. um, and and the rest of them have all just been about breaking up with each other. Um, we then move on to track number nine, which is called "I Don't Want to Know." Yep. Uh, so this track was actually written by Stevie Nicks before she and Lindsay Buckingham joined Fleetwood Mac. Uh, the band used this over Silver Springs, which did become a bonus track on a later release. Um. This was just due to the time limitations of the vinyl album media uh, at the time. At first, Nix was annoyed, but allowed the song. Otherwise, only two songs would have been written by her on the album. Uh, the song, for me, is a very simple chord progression and harmonic vocals. The song just feels like a filler to me, and I feel that it just gets lost in the music that's around it. Um, what are your thoughts on I Don't Want to Know? Well... I disagree slightly. I mean, I don't want to know. As you say, Stevie Nicks wrote this track prior to joining Fleetwood Mac. And it was used as a replacement for the song that she wrote for the album, which was called Silver Springs, um, which was discarded. Uh, as you say, it was then uh, later recorded and put on a, um, a revamped version of the album at a later date. Yeah. Um, but actually, th th this is a bouncy country blues track and it's surprisingly a lot more entertaining than it should have been. Yeah. Um so you you would disagree that it almost feels like a a filler song and it it gets lost then. No, yeah, I don't I don't think it is. I, I yeah, I don't think it feels like a filler song to me. It, it's it's one of those. It, it stands out in its own right. Yeah. Um, I think you know as you said, it, it was something they put on. Like this is the second track on the album that have been put on at the last minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that is because it's because they discarded another song. Yeah, and what's important to remember as well is the two people they had produced this album had like never produced an album like this before. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of difficulties in mixing, which meant that a lot it was delayed by quite a quite a long amount of time for for a delay on an album. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you hire people who don't know what they're doing as such. Um, but they they made it out in the end, and and it's 
not not too shabby for a first that, attempt. That's right. As you said, as, as we said in the opening, the album was released in February '77. It was actually um, penned for release originally um, towards the end of October '76 to hit the Christmas market. That was the whole point of the album, um, and, and a lot of big bands at the time. That's when they wanted to release an album. Release it for the Christmas market is biggest sales figures. It's the time to get it out there. Yeah, one one hundred percent. And they they had a delay, and and the delay, you know, it could have helped sales as well, I suppose, because people would have been thinking, well, we've had to wait extra time for this, so it must be brilliant. Um, we then move on to track ten, which is our our penultimate track, which is Oh Daddy. Um, one of the saddest songs on Rumours. It's the second to last on it, as said before. Uh, the song can be interpreted in many ways, but the main view is that it comes from a woman who is dependent of her lover and doesn't even feel worthy of him. Alternatively, it could be about wanting to leave a relationship, but not really having the inner strength to do so. Uh, the listener is almost left with a sense of desperation and hope that somehow the singer will liberate herself from this. What are your thoughts on, on Oh Daddy? Well, again, Oh Daddy is one of those tracks. You say Christine McVie wrote this, and she says for Mick, because Mick Fleetwood was the only father in the band. He was the only one who had kids um, at, at the time of recording. However, sources within the band claim it had been written for the band's lighting director with whom she was having an affair. Um, <laughs> near the end of the track, Trist, Christine uh, began hitting random notes to attract the attention of engineers in the sound room. Uh, because she wasn't happy with what was going on in the studio. It was decided, however, to leave these in, and you can pick them up in the finished production. It's a very melodramatic production. The lyrics are almost spoken through the uh, intro, and it doesn't really progress much more. For me, this song was a complete letdown. Yeah, so for me, the song is just sad, and, and I personally, personally just don't like it. I didn't have many feelings about it at all after listening to it. Um... I just sort of felt like, okay, that was that happened. Um, <laughs> next, sort of thing, you know, uh, very Simon Cowell-esque. Yeah, well, next is track 11, the final track on the album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is Gold Dust Woman. Now, the final cut for this was recorded at about 4am after a long day in the studio, uh, by which time Nix had got her head wrapped in a black scarf uh, to, to black out her senses. She didn't want to see or, or hear what was going on around her. Uh, stranger instruments, such as electronic harpsichords, were suddenly brought in and played um, with a jet phaser. Um, the distinctive sounds of Mick breaking panes of glass with a large hammer can be heard in the background. Again, it's another ballad. Um, this time, Stevie Nicks has got her, her great husky vocals and, and there's a cowbell keeping time. And we all know how much Ethan loves a good cowbell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this could be a great track. However, it feels like there's just something missing. It's not quite musically, it's not quite what you want it to be. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, I I do believe the cowbell is the most important instrument in any <laughs> band's songs in any in music history. I think it's it's up there with one of the greatest inventions of all time. Um, so yeah, our final song for today's episode is God Dust Woman. The song was written by Stevie Nicks and it's almost like it feels a, a fusion of love, loss, devastation and coping with an excess of drugs. Uh, Nicks has said in the past interview that she started writing the song before the recording of Rumours and that it's about the groupie type women who stand and give her and Christine dirty looks but then one of the, the guys come in and they're overcome with smiles all of a sudden. 
Um, the song has a simple chord progression and a harmonic chorus before Nix's raspy strained vocals give the song another sound. Um, this almost like signature sound in a way of this this rasp and it's very very good song. Yeah, it's it's one of the few songs um, on the album that if you grab hold of one of Stevie's um, solos al- solo albums. This is the sort of thing you're going to be listening to. This is yeah. what it sounds like. And, you know, for me personally, I mean, I love Stevie Nicks' voice. I think she's incredible with some of the material she puts out. Yeah, 100%. And so Gold Dust Woman is the the final track, and it suits the album. I just don't know if it suits just the close. Um, For me, I think a, the closing song on the album should have been The Chain, because I feel like that we've then gone full circle. We've then had these songs about how much we don't like each other, but by the way, we can never be torn apart because of this chain, this bond that, <coughs> that keeps us going. Um, so I feel the chain would have been a, a much better closer, but the song's very good and and it, and it definitely deserves its place on an album. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. We spoke uh, in the past about having an opening track that drags you in, that makes you want to listen to the album. For me, um, the opening track on this album probably don't stop um yeah and then at the same time you want a track at the end of the album that you're going to listen to it you're going to get to the final track listen to that final track and think damn i want more and i think you're quite right the chain would have been the better track to do that in fact it would have been the excellent track to do that yeah Um, yeah i I just feel like when i listen to an album I, i like to listen to a journey not a journey in the sense of i need characters and i need names and dates and places and and I don't need a, a concept album every time, but I want to feel like musically I've gone on a journey and, and I've sort of seen and heard everything happen. And we've heard the the almost beginnings of the breakups and we've heard them, them pain during them. And I just think the the chain rounds off the journey of Fleetwood Mac's, Fleetwood Mac's rumours. Um, so yeah, I, I would would think it, would, it should be a closing song, but the... Every song should have made the album, um, and they obviously did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about them now. <laughs> um, overall, for me, I really struggled to get into the album. Um, I feel like it has these these peaks that are really high, and then these lows that are really low. Um, and it's sort of like a roller coaster. Listen, listening to it, like I feel like the songs that I, I genuinely could sit there and say, I'd put that on my playlist and listen to that in the future. Um, but then there's also songs that I wouldn't mind if I never heard again, um, in in that sort of sense. Yeah, you, you're quite right. I mean, most of the songs on the album deserve to be on the album, and you know that's what they're for. Um, it is a difficult album to get into. Now, as much as um, Dreams is a great track and it's got Stevie's voice on it, and we all love Stevie's voice. When I first put this on, bearing in mind I I haven't played this album for about twenty years all the way through when I put it on I found myself getting so, towards the end of track three and never going back in again and thinking you know what I don't want to go back again you know I'm ready to take this off um it, it was a struggle to get through the whole album um there are great songs on it um but there are bad songs on it and and, and it, it is one of those sadly this is this is one of those iconic albums out there that that actually isn't that good um, after the first three tracks, you're not grabbed. You're in danger of turning it off. Turning it off. This is a classic example of, of three great singles. Don't make an iconic album. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so we we always wrap up on these three points. Um, so the best track on the album. What's that for you? Now, worst track first. Worst track first. Worst track first. Yeah. Worst track first for me is Oh Daddy. I just I just didn't like it. Yeah, high five. It just drags. Yeah, yeah. Oh Daddy is definitely the worst track on that album. <laughs> best track then uh, for me again is the chain. Um, or maybe go your own way, but I, I rate the chain very highly. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. The, the chain is one of those. It, it is highly rated. Um, go your own way again. It, you know, it, it's the biggest selling single off the album. However, for me, the best track on the album is Dreams. And I would say this. Thank you, Stevie Nicks. It's those vocals. I just, yeah, I can't get enough of that girl's vocals. I was going to say, is that because you have a <laughs> huge crush on Stevie Nicks that you're trying to hide from everyone? Yeah, it's a huge crush I'm trying to hide. That, <laughs> the, the crush that I had 25 years ago when the album first came out. <laughs> iconic score, then. Um, so I do think the album is definitely iconic, and I don't think you can argue with that. For me, I give it a score of 5 out of 10. It's just the middle of the road. It just it doesn't do much. It doesn't do nothing at all. It's just the midpoint. Yeah, but bearing in mind we take these iconic scores, split them down the middle, and that is the total score the album gets. For me, it's a very sad 3 out of 10 on this album. So that's an overall iconic score from us of 4 out of 10. There we go. 4 out of 10 for Fleetwood Max Rumours. I can't remember... The other two, you've got all of that information. Um, I've got the information here if you want to know. Let me uh, run back quickly. I know so far, uh, our first episode, Welcome to the Black Parade, is the it's, it's still the, the highest top, scoring. Yeah, still the top scoring album we've done so far. Um, five and a half out of ten for um, Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. And I think the Black Parade come in at six out of ten. Yes, it did. Yep, six out of ten. There we go. Perfect. Um, as always, you can let us know your thoughts on this on our Facebook page. That will be linked below. Um, also, if you do have any future suggestions, you can email them across to us. That one is let's talk music podcast at gmail.com. Um, so anything else to, to add on the end of that? Yeah, I'd just like to point out we've been joined in the studio by uh, Tegan here. She's uh, taking p- pictures to uh, come up on the page, and I think she might even be recording a little bit of this. No, she's not. She's just taking pictures to go up on the stage. So you can see how we set the studio up and what we do. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and we'll, I've promised her an Instagram link in the in the description for that one. Um, so you can go and follow her. She doesn't post anything interesting, but <laughs> that's there for you. <laughs> Um, so that being said, for this week's episode, so that we're going to spin our little wheel now and find out which is next week's episode. Yeah, so what album replaces and um, what album replaces it, yeah. Yeah, as always, we're, we're getting to this point where we're struggling with suggestions at times. Um, so if you do have any suggestions at all, let us know. We can add those onto the wheel, spin them, and you will be getting a, a shout-out once that episode is, is recorded and aired. Um. We've still not put Justin Bieber on the wheel, um, so there's that yeah. one for for Peter. That that one's not there yet. I'd just like to say, um, Louisa Claire out there, she uh, suggested that we do rumours um, the day we uh, the day we'd finished recording Welcome to a Nightmare, and rumours had been selected on air as the next album. <laughs> so it's spinning. Oh, we've got now. a good spin. We got a good spin. I pressed the button this time. Um, so next week we'll have Metallica's Ride the Lightning. Ooh, so um, a very big tonal change there. A very big tonal change. And that's an album I've not heard for a long time. No, it, it's the first CD I ever bought. It's actually there on the desk in yeah. front of us. Um, 
So we'll be giving that one a listen. As for a track to go in the wheel to replace Ride the Lightning, um, I'm going to stick my neck on the line here and see if he agrees with me. But we have mentioned this album twice, so I'm going to suggest we put Madonna's Like a Virgin on the wheel. He's got an agenda for Like a Virgin. (laughs) Um, We'll put that one on. Um, Yeah, and hopefully we'll be joined by some guests soon and we'll be able to to speak about some other albums as well. Um, So again, thanks for joining us all again. Um, And we'll see you on next week's episode. Thank you. Thank you.